Welcome. It's great to have you all here. Hope you're having a really great day. Me, I'm having kind of a rough day. Uh, I put my cell phone under my pillow last night, and when I woke up, it was gone, and there was a dollar bill there. <laughs> I think it was the Bluetooth fairy. <laughs> but, uh, or maybe my son, but... <laughs> All right, well, it's time to turn it over to somebody who's always having a great day. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. <laughs> All right, I want to tell you about some amazing backpack tech. But first, I need some moral support. Put this up here. There we go, <laughs> little ACD2 to keep an eye on things. All right, so I want you to look at this new backpack and see if you can figure out what it does. See if this is something you would want to take to school, you know. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell, but this backpack is packed with some pretty cool stuff. And we're going to need to unpack it, right? <laughs> okay, so you see that little box on there, that green thing, that's where you put the payload that goes in the backpack. And uh, they are able to use the motion of that payload moving up and down to produce electricity. This backpack will actually generate electricity while you walk. But at the same time, it makes whatever you're carrying feel lighter, which is pretty awesome. Let's first take a look at how it generates electricity. Uh, it uses something called a tribal electric generator, and it's a nano generator. Uh, we need to talk about what tribal electric is. This is the effect that you get when you rub two things together. In fact, a lot of the static electricity and stuff like that. So if you look at this diagram, uh, these are two surfaces, as, and as they move back and forth past each other, the electrons move back and forth as well. And if you put a load between them, then you can actually get at a current and use that electricity to do something. And so that's how they powered this backpack. And uh, if you look in this diagram, they, this is with it taken apart and hooked up. Those wires are hooked up to the tribal electric generator, and then those um, wires connect to some diodes. They're making a rectifier circuit here because with the tribal electric generator, the voltage goes one way and then it goes the other way and one way and the other way, and they use the diodes to turn that into a constant voltage that they can use to drive those LEDs. You can see that bay with a whole bunch of LEDs. Uh, so let's go ahead and see their experiment to see this working. Okay, fire it up. And you'll notice how it moves back and forth and the payload moves at a different rate of the backpack. Imagine you running and the backpack's bouncing. And then uh, you can see their bay of LEDs. We'll turn off the lights so we can see them <laughs> coming on and off there. So they're actually generating electricity from that movement that you would get running with the backpack. So the next big question, though, is how does that make the load in your backpack feel lighter, right? Which brings us to another interesting question. What does this mean? Move your arms really fast. Have you ever done that before? I find myself almost in the habit of doing that when I jump off the last step on the stairs, you know, hop off the last step. And some people probably thought I was waving, <laughs> right? But actually, uh, it's kind of fascinating to try and think about it because if you do it just right, then it makes it so you fall a little bit slower. And then if you move your hands down really fast as you hit the ground, it makes it so you feel lighter as you hit the ground. 
you're actually the exact same weight, but we're just messing with the movement of mass that we already have. So you have to try that sometime, but do it off a little step, okay? Be careful, okay? <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's pretty amazing. And that is how this backpack can make things feel lighter. When you're jogging along and you have this heavy backpack and it's bouncing up and down, that's quite a bit of extra energy and effort to do that. Well, if the load in your backpack was staying still while you're running, then you wouldn't be required to spend as much energy moving your load. And so they're designing the backpack to make the load move less, which makes it feel lighter, and to generate electricity from it. Pretty cool, huh? So if you were a researcher and you made a backpack like this and you had tested it and everything, wouldn't you really want to try it out for reals? And so that's what they did. They got on the lab coat, they got on the treadmill, and away they went. <laughs> All right, so we got to start really moving here. Notice how they got some weight in the backpack. Turn off the lights, and we can see them blinking. There they go. <laughs> so there's proof that it actually works in the lab, right? <laughs> um, now, the amount of electricity that they're generating here isn't very much. They're getting about, they estimate, 14% of the movement energy getting converted into electricity. And um, that's enough to charge maybe your smartwatch or maybe even a GPS unit or something like that. So they're thinking that this could be really useful in applications where people need to carry a heavy payload, especially for a long distance. Of course, the, if the payload on your backpack's heavier, you can generate um, more power, at least in theory. And so this would be really useful for maybe first responders that have a big payload or backpackers, things like that, or maybe kids carrying their books to school, right? <laughs> wherever, wherever that situation is. Uh, but it, it could have some, some pretty neat applications down the road in doing that. And that's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> Right, now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. Well, I'm excited because we get to talk about the strategy of the shadows. Ooh, that sounds like a Sherlock Holmes audiobook <laughs> narrated by Ian McKellen. Tonight's story is the Sherlock Holmes and the strategy of the shadows. <laughs> Chapter one. Okay, no. <laughs> the strategy of the shadows. Well, we're actually talking about computers, believe it or not. But with computers, we'll get to the shadows part in a minute, but computers. And to really appreciate what we're going to be discussing, we need to jump back to when computers in the 1940s uh, time period was very much based on these huge computer parts or components, as they termed them. And one of the biggest pieces was something called vacuum tubes. And remember, computers dis discuss, they don't, they communicate or they store data through computer language, which is on and off, yes, no, one, zero, binary. And so to be able to have equipment that actually can communicate or store or transfer this kind of data. It's got to be able to, to do that on or off. And so vacuum tubes, and here's, here's a picture of lots of different kinds of vacuum tubes, types that they used. And basically, this was an electronic way that they could turn on or off these tubes, and it was something that they used with their computers in the early days. So 
the thing is, as computers started to get more and more introduced, we wanted more powerful computers. We wanted them to be able to do more things, store more data, and do more advanced commands. And so the number of vacuum tubes grew. And not just vacuum tubes, but other pieces of equipment, other components of computers. And it got to the point where to have a high performance computer, you had to have a room full of these components. Here's a picture of the first supercomputer. And it's, it, it's, this is one side of the room that it was in. And this computer had 17,000 vacuum tubes, 70,000 resistors, 10,000 capacitors. And if you want to know what all these are, you need to take John's STEM courses because he teaches all that. But 7,000 diodes and wait. It wasn't all of those thousands of things. They had to all be hand soldered together with wires. And it took over five million connections that they had to hand solder. So if you were gonna buy one of these things, um, it wasn't just the cost of all the equipment involved, all that hardware, but the labor was extremely intensive and the maintenance because the more parts and components that you added and the more connections, the more risk there was that there could be an issue. And whoa, debugging something like that would be quite the adventure to try and look for what's going on in that huge mess. And so this is kind of something that started to hold up the computer industry was if we want to make it more powerful and do more, it's getting crazy. So that's where things started to come out, different technologies. One of them was the transistor, and that was basically a little component, a much smaller component than vacuum tubes that could do the same function of on or off capacity that those vacuum tubes could do, only it could do it much better, and it could take much less space. So they started to come up with smaller components to replace some of those big ones, but they were all their own components. So each of those transistors you had to wire into your system, and it was still a very messy thing. So that's where we come in to the breakthrough tonight, and that is talking about Robert Noyce. And he had Noyce. That sounds like a that sounds like a Noyce guy from Australia type Noyce. <laughs> no, he joined a company called Fairchild, and he had a really interesting idea. He thought, what if we took the transistor and we squashed it? I mean, not violently, but we we made the transistor flat. And in fact, we didn't just make it flat. You know what? What if we had one component, but multiple transistors right on top of this little flat piece that we have, multiple components on one component? That could simplify things. And he actually made one, and he selected silicon to be the substance that he used to put this, these transistors onto. So here's a picture of one of his transistors that he made. And so this is on silicon, and you can see these flat type looking wires. And he was able to, if he tried real, if they worked at it a lot, they could get up to five transistors in one component. So all of a sudden, instead of needing five, you could just have one of these, and that's five transistors. And you know, when you get it that small, trying to get the wiring perfect is pretty challenging. And so this is where the strategy of the shadows comes, because they started doing something really incredibly ingenious. And that was, okay, how can we get more wires on here? How can we get more than five transistors? Well, we could try getting our little tweezers and trying to make those wires and get them on perfect. Well, they came up with an idea of using photolithography 
and basically what this was, was they had the little silicon pad that they were going to put it onto, and they covered that entire pad with metal. And then on top of that metal, they put a protection, okay? But the prote protection was sensitive to light. And so if you shone special light onto that protection, it would corrode and you could wash it away with a chemical. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. So let's pretend we've got a silicon thingy that's got the metal on top of the silicon and then the protection, okay? And we're gonna turn the light on, but before we do, I put my hand out and I make a beautiful shadow of my hand onto this protection. Okay, they turn the light off, I move my hand, we put chemicals on it, and after, all of the protection is gone, and we use chemicals to even remove the metal. But where my hand was, the protection is still there, and the metal is still there. So we've been able to remove all of the metal from the silicon piece, except for where my shadow was cast. Okay, now that seems pretty not that great, but whoa, what if we could take that? How precise can shadows be? How high of resolution is a shadow and light? Well, part of it depends on how high of resolution you can get your, they actually printed or drew these pieces that they would use to cast shadows. Like this picture here, he's holding one of their pieces. So they made a shadow design that followed the wire structure. But look how huge that is. That, that's going to be a ginormous silicon pad. Well, it's actually not because they realized, wait a minute, we could make our pieces big, and then it, we could almost do opposite of what a projector does. You have a projector and you shoot it on the wall. It takes this little image and makes it big. They reversed that, and they took this big image, and they shot it through a lens system to make it really small, but all of the shadow structure was still there. So now this tiny area has this pattern of shadow. And so they use that to be able to impact with light that photosensitive material. And then they were able to get really intricate wire designs. So Robert Noyce and his friend Gordon Moore actually left Fairchild and they started their own company called Intel. And they would um, start to work on this idea. And they put out in 1971 the first microprocessor chip. And that processor had 2,300 transistors on that microprocessor. And it would start to grow and grow and grow. Um, by 1980, they had a CPU that could hold 30,000 transistors. And by 1990, they had one that could hold over 1 million transistors. And in the year 2000, 30 million, and in 2010, over a billion on one CPU. So, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So pretty incredible stuff. And just to, to think, and they still use it today, of the strategy of the shadows. So, thank you. All right, and now introducing Roger Billings. <laughs> I like Pretty nice. Can we play that one again? <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, we could. No, let's, let's play not. it again. <laughs> can we do a replay on that? No. 
Look at that. Look at that. Okay, unfreeze. <laughs> I still like it. Butterflies are amazing, aren't yeah. they? They're beautiful. We're going to talk about them a little bit later. But yeah. first, I've, I've got some hot breaking news. Okay. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> okay, you want to say it? Mm-hmm. I want to see it. Have you ever seen a robot before? I, sh- I have. Yeah, this, this is a robot. And uh, a lot of the students have robots like this. But, but here's the breaking news. I have started to program it. Really? Yeah, yeah. You're going to show I'm, us? I'm getting ready. I have developed, well, I haven't programmed a whole dance. But you need a drum roll. I have programmed... <laughs> A step. One step. Yeah. That's it, the first it, step, too. Well, no, it's, it's part of the dance. Okay. Okay? So I'd like to just show you the step. Are you ready for this? I think so. Okay. Here we go. Okay, little guy, do your step. Let him finish. Let him finish. Okay. Oh, that, I think it had more. What do you think? I think that's a good step. That's a good step. <laughs> and you know what? I did it with a program. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Guess what? Well, it's pretty amazing, I, isn't it? May I interrupt? No, you may not. Okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you'll get time. Well, you may not. No, I may not. Well, I well, You should get to time <laughs> anyway. What I want to do... Is I want to explain but how I, some... I. I want to explain how I programmed this step. Okay, I'm listening for that. And I did it by putting code into the computer one zero zeros one, and it sounds so complicated. Williams, I have yes, something. but I was wanting to tell you that I have something. Okay, okay, you need some attention. We're going to take a little time out and give the Dr. Peget Monet a little bit of attention. I'll tell you what. What? Let's pretend that you're the robot. No, that's not that. No, no. I mean, this thing. And let's just let's do free program. Can we have the music for the robot? Here we go. Now you just start doing one step. Go. Now, cut. Okay. Now, where, That's not what I was where, where I was, what I was trying to explain to you is that I took okay, these Williams. ones and these zeros and I put them into a little program. And this little program oh, can Please, now be executed, which makes the robot do the dance. Now, I want you to watch this again because uh, okay. I'm going to show you the step. Okay, well, Ready? One more Here we go. The step. Look at that. Look at that. What do you think? That, that is the first step in my dance. Okay, now I And I'm I feeling have... pretty good about it. I am going to interrupt. Yes, you, you probably are, aren't you? I have something you? to tell you. You have something to tell me. Yes. Could we talk about it after? No. I really have something to say. Okay. I have a robot. (laughs) So do I. May I show you mine? No. 
I, I've got this. This is enough robot. Okay. This, so I this talked to Doctor John. Okay. The, the, the brilliant the, the Doctor John. Yeah. Doctor John. Mm -hmm. Dr. John. Mm -hmm. And I want to see my robot. I have a bigger robot than you do. I'm very proud of it too. Bring it over here. I just want. Oh, you want to see it? Yeah. This is the one he made. Mine's taller. Mine's, <laughs> mine's bigger. Look at those feet. Mine's wow. bigger. Wow. So. And I'm feeling like you. Sh I wanted to tell you. <laughs> I thought it was neat, and they needed to see it. <laughs> What, I, what I'm trying to get into tonight is I want to show you a step that I programmed into this robot. <laughs> okay, so here goes the step. Okay. That is so cute. Thank you. So you are impressed. I am. You're not impressed. Well, I... I was thinking that there's going to be more. It, this feels like a challenge. <laughs> a challenge? Well, this is a challenge. Now I'm concerned. Junior, <laughs> look into my eyes. Are you up for a challenge? Okay. <laughs> be courageous. Don't be afraid. I'm sorry we didn't get to rehearse this, but we're going for it. But I'm so nervous. And everything is going to work out fine. <laughs> Goodbye, my friend. <laughs> Goodbye. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, you leave him all by himself? <laughs> drastic situations call for drastic methods. <clears throat> oh, goodness. Okay, see, I've got this. Do you have a magic wand? I don't have one of those. <laughs> I didn't come yeah. prepared. I have a big robot, though. You think that's a big robot, don't you? I do. I, I do. All right, my little friend. On three. One, two, three. What is it doing? What did you do? Wow. Did you do to your robot? Hello, friend. <laughs> that's not fair. Hello, friend. Yours is a little. <laughs> Your, yours is little. Well, does yours dance? Sure. Big one. At least one dance? step. I don't think he dances. Would you like to see? I would. Now watch this. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> no, keep going. <laughs> I said stop. No, keep going. Hey, my robot, look, my robot, he dances. Uh-oh, it's still my robot. This is my robot. <laughs> no, I think he's mine. Look, he's still dancing. Security, you need, you need to go home. Take this away, will you?
You I, commandeered my robot. I know. He likes me. He felt me. He likes me. Am I in trouble? You know, I sure like those butterflies you brought in tonight. Mm. Butterflies can be something oh, else, can't they? Oh, butterflies are fun. You know, uh, a long time ago, I was a Boy Scout. In fact, once a Boy Scout, always a Boy Scout. Were you an Eagle okay. Scout? Of course. I still oh. am. That's, oh. No, I am. <laughs> I had an opportunity when I was a scout, though, to do something really amazing. I had an opportunity to travel down to South America, to Brazil, to lead a scout group down there. And that was a, a real experience. I took them out into the jungle on a camping trip. And in the jungle, there were butterflies with numbers on them. Numbers. And so we actually played a game catching butterflies. And when we catch the butterfly, then we'd add up the numbers, and whoever had the biggest number won. How fun. This is a real story. Oh, this is a real story. Let me show you. Here's, an, here's a butterfly. Take a look at this. Oh. This is called an 88. I, yeah. Okay, now let's see another one. This is a 98. Wow. Isn't that interesting how they number all these butterflies in Brazil? You want to see another one? Look at this one. 89. Uh, an 89. So they're all very, very similar. Very wonderful. Speaking of butterflies, and especially blue ones, blue butterflies are beautiful. They are. They're amazing, they're amazing, beautiful. And one day while I was in Brazil, mm -hmm. a blue butterfly came flying along, and I held out my finger, and the butterfly lit on my finger. Now that seemed like a crazy thing for him to do. But he did. He lit there. And we, we looked at each other. He looked at me. I looked at him. And we bonded. <laughs> and we were friends for quite a while. It turns out that the beautiful blue butterflies, when they close their wings on the outside, they're brown. Mm -hmm. Let me show you. Mm -hmm. This is the blue butterfly on the inside. Can you see that? Look how big it is. They're giants. called a blue morpho. Okay? But when they close their wings and you look at them on the outside, look at this. They're still beautiful, but they're not blue. They're not. So I took this little butterfly and I thought, he's going to fly away any minute. And so I started walking down the street and, and he was riding. I think maybe he was tired. And I took him all the way home. And we got home. I asked him if he was hungry. He didn't answer. So I thought maybe he's too hungry to talk. So I made some sugar water. I actually didn't have any sugar, so I made some honey water. And I put in a bottle lid and put him on the edge. And he sat there, and he has this little curled-up straw thing. And he uncurled it and stuck it down there. That is so neat. Yeah. Was yours that big, like in that hand? Was it? My hand's a little smaller, but the <laughs> butterfly was about the same size. No, he was big. He was huge. Huge and beautiful. Honey. And they are are really amazing. Um, you know that, uh, remembering that story uh, makes me realize something that I wanted to talk about tonight. And it, it has a lot to do with how we get along with each other and people and our relationships. Uh, this past week, we kind of tiptoed open neighbors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we wanted to get about 100 students on neighbors just to help us test it, because we plan to go live in April. We're over 5,000 students now. Wow. 
wow, was it ready for that? <laughs> oh, our data center boys had some panics this week. <laughs> we Guess what? There's 5,000 people out there. And so we had to really hustle. But it's been a very, very interesting week. And so far, we've learned an awful lot. And it's coming along quite well. And you remember last week I mentioned that we call it neighbors because we want to be neighbors. Neighbors are people that live close to each other. And I think there should be a friendship or a bond between neighbors, a very special bond. And we'd like to use this program to bring neighbors close together, even if they live clear around the world or across the country or whatever. And so a lot of people are starting to do that. Now, I will tell you, there's a lot of features we have built into neighbors that we have not turned on yet for two reasons, some because we want to walk before we run, others because they're not finished. <laughs> but we're working on them, and they're going to be kind of neat. Uh, if anybody uh, has a special, special, special interest that you'd like to see us create a discussion group regarding, message me. I've been getting a lot of messages, by the way. Uh, in fact, the first day we had it set so that you get an email every time you got a message. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find my normal emails. <laughs> my box exploded. It was fun. So now we've kind of changed that notification. And for those of you that are trying it and it's still on, we've got it so it doesn't come on automatically, but you have to go ahead and turn it off. <laughs> Your inbox are getting full. But um, <laughs> I am looking for other ideas. We have that little bunny site in there. We, we want to create specialty places where groups of people with common interests can go and share their ideas, their experiences, and so forth. We are building a special uh, site within Neighbors for parents to train them. So be our, we call it our parent uh, support site or support group. We also want to have one for parents to share with parents. Uh, a lot of the really good ideas that a parent invents or discovers on how to homeschool their, their students or to help them or, for that matter, anything, can be shared. And so the, the parent sharing site would be especially for that. And we're programming it so that these parent sites will be for parents only, which will allow them to discuss things uh, maybe a little more aggressively than they would want to in front of all the students. Yeah, okay? they don't really care. Yeah, but the students are having a lot of fun finding people. And we, we plan to fix it so that it'll be easier to find people. But it's a real concern. Uh, we really need to be respectful of each other. And I, I'm hoping that neighbors would be a place where people would, would really enjoy spending some time and it would be uplifting, and it would be educational, but I also would like it to be a place where we learn to be good neighbors. And if we could learn to be good neighbors, then this would be one of the most successful things I've ever been involved in, and I really, really do want to see that. And so we're, we're asking people to make this be a very positive thing. There are so many things about which we disagree. Mm -hmm. That's okay. To disagree is, is to be an individual. But this is a place where we want to show respect even when we have a difference of opinion. We want to keep it on a very positive nature. And 
When I went to Brazil, it was like going to a different planet. Uh, the trees were different. I looked up in the sky and there was no North Star. It was interesting, there was a Southern Cross. And some of the stars that I could see from the United States were there, but, but the northern sky was gone and there was this southern sky I'd never seen before. And the insects, like that beautiful blue morph butterfly, was different than I'd ever seen. A uh, place where I grew up, we didn't have any fireflies. In Brazil, they did. And I absolutely loved the fireflies. They also had some little fire beetle, we called them glow bugs. And all of these wonderful things were there to, to study. Uh, I had an interest when I was young in, in all the different varieties of snakes. But in Brazil, they, the snakes were, were different. And you know, you think you know all about all the snakes and all the spiders, and then all of a sudden there's all of these you've never seen before. Uh, I had a, a little running, in fact, with a snake. Uh, close to where I was staying in Brazil, which is a little city called Sao Paulo. It's like one of the biggest cities in the world. But I was staying there, and in the middle of Sao Paulo, there's a place called Butantan, which is uh, an institute where they stud study snakes. They know all about snakes, have all different kinds of snake experts and research and so forth. And I used to walk by there, and it was a beautiful place. And so then I went on a, a little trip, uh, took a bus down a windy road to the coast of Brazil. And I, I wanted to go down that road because it passed by a reservoir. You know, when you dam up a river, mm -hmm. it yeah, makes a reservoir of water. And this particular one, I really wanted to see. Do you know why? Was it big? No, it's not as big as your robot. <laughs> no, it's because of its name. Why? This particular reservoir was called Reservoir Billings. <laughs> really? And I figured if they're going to have a Billings Reservoir in Brazil, I want to see it. And it was beautiful. How do you, beautiful say, reservoir. How do you say Billings in Portuguese? You say Billings. <laughs> Actually, they say Represa for Reservoir. Represa Billingis. Billingis. <laughs> I'm working with them on that. <laughs> but I wanted to go see it. And it turns out that the Billings that they named this after was actually a Canadian engineer that went down there and did the engineering on this reservoir. So oh. it wasn't actually a Billings that lived in Brazil. But it was really interesting to see. But as I went on down to the, beach, uh, to the ocean, uh, the bus stopped at a little place called Santos. Santos is a much smaller town than Sao Paulo, and it's right on the edge of the, the ocean. And so I went trekking around there, and while I was trekking around, I found a snake. And like I say, I've always been very, very interested in snakes, but if you're going to be around snakes, you've got to really know what kind they are. Some snakes are very poisonous. Some snakes aren't poisonous. And very, very first thing you want to know is, is this snake dangerous or is it okay? And I looked at this snake 
and it looked like a cobra, I mean like a coral snake. It had these little red, black, yellow bars, stripes around it, and it looked just like a coral snake. Coral snakes are very dangerous. Now where I lived in the United States, we didn't have any coral snakes, but we do in, in more uh, coastal regions. So I'd never seen a real coral snake, but I had seen them in books, and I had studied them, and I knew quite a bit about them. And I could tell this one wasn't really a coral snake because the stripes were wrong. They were in the wrong order. And that made this a contra coral, which means it looks like a coral, mm -hmm. but it's not. And so once I knew that it wasn't a coral snake, I became very bold because I knew this snake is not poisonous. So I picked it up. And it wasn't very big. It was a cute little thing, and it was kind of friendly, and it had a real smooth texture to it. It was almost like plastic or something. And so I uh, thought, wow, this is a neat little snake. And I decided, since it was being so friendly, to take it back to Sao Paulo on the bus. So I took it on the bus, put it in my pocket, oh, and it was the cutest little snake. <laughs> and of course, I thought, I'll take this over to Butantan. They'd like a little contra coral. So I took it over to them and I said, hey, you guys interested in a contra coral? And the snake expert said, that is not a contra coral. <laughs> <laughs> You're so dumb. blessed. <laughs> <laughs> That would be called dumb. Yeah. So a little bit of knowledge <clears throat> could be very dangerous. And uh, it's interesting. When you come into a new place, like it could be to a new school, a new city, a new neighborhood, mm -hmm. there's a lot to learn. And when we come into a situation like that, we feel alone. We feel disoriented. We feel at a disadvantage. And that's when friends become so important. And that's really what I'd like everybody to do on Neighbors is to welcome, especially newcomers, and help them get their bearings, get their feet on the ground. There's, uh, you know, coming to a website and hanging out, and that's okay. But, you know, there's a lot of students coming into Neighbors, and especially they're going to come into Neighbors, that are going to be brand new to this idea of homeschooling or schooling online. And some of you have been doing it for a long time. You know, it's old hat to you. But to them, it's going to be kind of a completely new experience. And if we can kind of fellowship them and answer their questions and encourage them, let them know that it's going to be okay and you can learn, you can still have a wonderful career, da da da. In fact, some of our most brilliant students, uh, even going into our universities, are students that are being taught at home, homeschooled or, or learning online. So uh, that's a lot of what my plan is. But now, I want to talk a little bit more about Brazil because it is really an amazing place. Uh, I told you that I was in scouting. I uh, became an Eagle Scout. I worked at scout camp during the summers. And so when I went to Brazil, I was invited to help manage a scout troop as an assistant scoutmaster, which I did. And of course, what do scouts do? Scouts like to go camping. <laughs> and, and they learn a lot. 
camping. Mm -hmm. They learn first aid, they learn how to start a fire by rubbing two sticks together. <laughs> by the way, John, I wonder if those people ought to just get some fireflies. And they would... <laughs> anyway, also learn how to lash. Do you know what lashing is? Uh -huh. It's where you take two pieces of wood and you uh, you connect them together with ropes so they're real sturdy. Mm -hmm. and, and these are things that I learned in scouting. But the guys in Brazil, the boys in Brazil, didn't know these things yet. So I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to teach them. I want to show you a, a photograph of the Brazilian jungle. This is kind of what it looked like in the jungle there. And the place where we went was a reserve uh, of the, the state. And there were like six lakes we traveled across in these little boats to get to the place where we were going to camp. It was a beautiful, beautiful place. Interestingly, though, uh, when we got to this campground, they had soldiers, soldiers with guns. Hmm. And I thought, that's strange. Is this a prison camp or is this a Boy Scout <laughs> camp? And uh, I asked one of the guys, why all the guns? And he says, oh, because of the monkeys. And if we can stay in order, that'd be better. So let's go back to this little family of monkeys. You see them there? Aren't they cute? Monkeys are so darling. <laughs> but sometimes the monkeys form gangs or they, they group in large numbers. And sometimes they've been known to hurt people. And so just to be sure, when the scouts go into the jungle to camp, they send some of the soldiers with guns to protect them. Now, I want to show you the soldier again. You'll notice he's got a, a real serious weapon there. Mm -hmm. And the reason they have these, these fast-firing weapons is because these uh, gangs of monkeys can attack in like 200 monkeys oh. at a time. And it can be actually quite dangerous. And some of the monkeys, uh, in this next slide, I'm going to show you monkeys from China, but... Uh, take a look at the teeth on this guy. Oh. Uh, he's, uh, he's unhappy. They, they can become pretty unhappy, especially if they're provoked or they're hungry. So that's kind of a good thing to know about. Uh, at the little place where we stayed, there, there was a little teeny cabin, and there was a, a gentleman that stayed there all the time. He was the caretaker of this reserve. And uh, he only had one tooth left. He didn't tell me what happened to the others, but he was a real interesting guy. And he and I became friends real quick. But um, he would live off of, the, off of the jungle. He would go out and he'd gather edible things and, and bring them home, cook them and eat them. And that's how he would live out there because it was like boat rides and a lot of miles before you could ever get to a store. And so one day, he was cooking up a nice big pan full of peas. And, uh, you know, peas are, are vegetables. You've got to be a little careful because they're vegetables. And they're, they're good for you. But uh, he offered me some of his peas. And he had them, ate them on a knife. I guess he didn't have a fork. So he got couple peas on his knife and handed them to me and I took them with my fingers and I ate it 
And I took one bite into that pea, and it was so hot that I couldn't taste anything for weeks. I want to show you some peas. Um, these peas are not peas. They are some jungle concoction that really should not be eaten by people <laughs> with more than one tooth. But anyway, I really, um, that's the only thing he ever offered me that I ate. But, um, but I want to make a point here, and that was I had all these wonderful scouts, and my Portuguese was coming along so I could communicate with them a little bit. They didn't speak hardly, if any, English. And so I wanted to get some logs that we could lash together, and I was going to make a tower. Well, now, one thing that didn't happen where I grew up is they didn't grow anything called bamboo. But in this jungle, they had little places where they had all of these little sprouts of bam bamboo sticking up, and some of these were nice, big, round bamboo trees, the very straight, perfect for lashing. I mean, you'd just love to have something that straight and strong for lashing. So we went out on the trail. We saw a stand of bamboo, and it was only maybe 10 steps off the path. And so I said, okay, guys, let's go over, and let's cut down four of these bamboo trees. And all of those scouts just looked at me like they don't speak Portuguese. <laughs> guys... Cut, cut, bamboo. They had choppers. They could go over there and cut those trees down. And uh, might be fun to look at bamboo off the path. Looks something like this. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, straight logs. There they are growing in a little clump. So guys, cut down four. Four nice, strong, straight ones. But still, they wouldn't do it. They just stood there. And I thought, Maybe, maybe I'm speaking Greek or something. So finally, I got one of those big machete things that we had, one of those big knives, and I went over there and and I started cutting those bamboos down because if they won't do it, I will. And that's when I discovered why they weren't helping me. <laughs> I guess they knew that where you have a big clump of bamboo, quite often you have something else. Look at this picture. Oh. Yep, ants. And before I realized what I had done, I was completely covered in ants. And they were the biting kind. And those Boy Scouts thought that was funny. <laughs> I wonder why they didn't tell you. Great fearless leader. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's kind of like you know, starting in homeschooling or going to a new school or going to a new place, being in a new situation. There are a lot of things that we need to learn. And it makes so much difference if you have a friend you can trust, someone that will kind of help you learn the ropes. Well, I, uh, I did get my bamboo back to camp, and I was <laughs> sore for a lot of days, and they thought it was pretty funny. Going to another country is like going to a, almost an alien planet. And in our lives, we are given opportunities to go different places. Even just moving across town or across country or even internationally is very, very different. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody realized when a person is going through the trauma of something new? And if we were the kind of people that would reach out and take care of the person that needs our help, kind of like we wish someone would take care of us, if we were ever in that circumstance. I mean, tonight I've been through a lot of trauma. I was trying to show oh. you my program. <laughs> mm, did I hurt your feelings? Well, actually it wasn't you. Uh, it started out with that intro. It, it was saying, Science Live with Roger Billing. Then this whole flock of blue butterflies. <laughs> And, well, maybe and, it was and when my you... ego went, oh. <laughs> and so I changed the subject. I recovered. I was showing them this program I'm working on. It was pretty good. Yeah. It was. It was and then, good. And then my giant robot joined your team. He did, didn't he? He and I will be talking. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had fun. Is Did you? <laughs> well, I guess that's what's matters, huh? Well, so Neighbors we, is going to be fun, and we're going to have a is. lot of good experiences. Yeah. Excuse me, I think you were going to say something. Yes. Okay, we're out of time. <laughs> One thing. We had a comment come in a mm -hmm. while ago from Rita. Hi, and Rita. She was, watching, uh, <clears throat> she was watching my social-emotional class. Uh -oh. And apparently I put in there about how you know Portuguese and you were telling a story about discouragement and she's from Brazil and she's wondering if you could say something in Portuguese to her. About discouragement? No, that's what I was t talking about in that lesson, but you can say whatever you want. I can say whatever I want, huh? Okay, a story about saying. discouragement. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Once upon a time I was very discouraged in Portugal. <laughs> We're talking about Brazil. Okay, well, I, I know a really intense story about discouragement. Okay, we're ready. How intense should we make it? Well, I think after everything you've gone through, it needs if, to be If I intense. don't have to translate it, I'd probably be okay. No. We'll just enjoy uh, it. <clears throat> we'll see what we can pick up. So uh, this is a, a story about um, discouragement. And um, turns out this story took place, you know, down, down there. And there was one of those little creatures down there that didn't have horns. And he wanted to get horns. Mm -hmm. So he went to the big guy down there with horns. It's just fictional. Okay. And he asked the big guy, you know, how do I get my horns? We doing okay so far? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> let, me, let me back up just a minute. Aconteceu que tinha um diabinho no inferno. E ele queria ser um diabão. Então, ele perguntou, o que, que eu preciso fazer para conseguir ser um diabão? We're all caught up now. <laughs> and so the big guy down there, he said, all you've got to do, you know what I ought to do? Ought to do it in down there first, and then English later, because yes, maybe that. you'll understand it. Mm -hmm. All right. Então o diabão disse: Olha, você tem que fazer o seguinte: você tem que subir lá na terra e achar uma pessoa, talvez um padre, e você senta 
cosquinho e fala para ele, você está desanimado. Você está desanimado. So the big guy said, you go up there, you find a preacher, and you sit on his shoulder, and you whisper in his ear, you're discouraged. You whisper to the preacher, you're discouraged. E depois de alguns tempos, <laughs> o padre escutou a voz dizendo que ele estava desanimado. Ele ficou desanimado. Coitadinho. <laughs> and after listening to that voice for a while, the preacher started to get pretty discouraged. Poor thing. <laughs> então, o diabinho, ele voltou lá embaixo e consegui, consegui. Then, The little devil, he went back down there and he screamed, I did it, I did it. Now what do I have to do to be, you know, one of the big guys? Diabon disse, você tem que voltar de novo. Você tem que achar uma estudante de salas. Você tem que sentar aqui e falar, você está desanimado. Você está muito desanimado. Now you got to go back up there and you got to find the cellar student. You sit on his shoulder and you say, you're discouraged. You're very discouraged. Então, o diabinho subiu e achou um estudante de salas. E disse, você está desanimado. Você está desanimado. Você está desanimado. So he went back up and he found the cellar student. He got on his shoulder and he said, you're very discouraged. You're discouraged. You're discouraged. You're discouraged. Ele disse, você está desanimado. Você está muito desanimado. Você está muitíssimo desanimado. <laughs> you are discouraged. You are very discouraged. You are very, very, very discouraged. E depois de alguns tempos, o diabinho desceu lá embaixo. E o diabon, ele disse, hey, então, conseguiu? E o diabinho disse, Estou desanimado. Did you get it? I did. Okay, she got it. She's now brasileira. <laughs> so, he kept saying, you're discouraged, you're discouraged. And then after a little while, he went back down and the big guy says, so, did you do it? Did you get him discouraged? And the little devil said, I'm disanimated. I'm discouraged. You know why? Why? Because the Asala student wouldn't get discouraged. That's right. And so they ended up, that's a story about discouragement. It is. Yeah. In Portuguese. Thank you. And, and I might say for people in Brazil, me desculpe, a minha portuguesa, minha língua portuguesa está bem fraquinha, mas dá para quebrar um galho. Hmm. Okay, what else? Regarding neighbors, regarding neighbors, we have um, an idea of starting a book club of good books okay. and then sharing within that page of books that people like to read and suggestions. And Did you know that we have a good book writer? We do? Yes, we mm -hmm. do. We have someone that's been writing some really good books right here in our Salas team, yeah. and I think it would be really fun. A lot of people would really enjoy reading those. They would. You know, I love the idea of sharing good books, 
but I also like the idea of inspiring more good books. Mm -hmm. We are learning how to write. The Writing Tutor is a wonderful tool. Our courses are well taught. But wouldn't it be wonderful if some people decided that they wanted to write a book? Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be great if Neighbors was a way for you to expose your books to a lot of readers? That'd be wonderful. I think it'd be really neat. Yeah. I'd love to have people learn to read, learn to read well, learn to enjoy reading. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could also inspire people to write? Absolutely. Writing is a way of communicating that's very important. A lot of the information that's shared between people in our universe, or at least on our Earth, is through writing. Uh, when you speak, you can think what you're going to say. Hopefully, you, with the cowboys say, uh, taste. you should taste your words before you spit them out. <laughs> yep. uh, sometimes that. we speak faster than we think, and sometimes we hurt people's feelings that we didn't intend to. But writing gives us an opportunity to think and think it out carefully, and it goes at the speed that we can really say exactly what we want to say, and that's what's neat about writing. I'd love to have the Neighbors Book Club. We really, really need to do that. And I hope a lot of you would write books. You know, we need books that are written on first grade level, mm -hmm. second grade level, third grade level, fourth grade level, readers. It's kind of an interesting thought, but you know, you rate a writer by how many people read their books. Mm -hmm. Some people are on the bestsellers list, and those people make a lot of money selling their books. Other people publish their books and no one ever reads it. But just think, as a young writer, young meaning not with a lot of experience or reputation, you could write a second grade level book, and it could be writ read by millions of students on a cellus. It's got to be well-written, it's got to be good, it's got to be written on that level. But what makes a, a book on a certain level? It's the vocabulary, it's the structure. It, you want to write it on the level that they're at. And we could use some more really good readers in a cellist, couldn't we? Yes. So that's a good idea. Okay, well, as uh, John would say, that's all the time we have tech for. <laughs> <laughs> and so I want to thank you for being with us today. We'll look forward to seeing you on Neighbors. That's right.